Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. Whether you operate on a normal calendar year or a fiscal calendar year inside of your business, chances are that you have the concept of quarters, right? And within sales organizations, a common exercise that we do each quarter is the concept of a quarterly business review. This is a time that You look back at the previous quarter's performance as well as look ahead to the quarter that's upcoming. It's usually a mix of both qualitative and quantitative of learnings and reflection and a little bit of forecasting. But what makes a quarterly business review or QBR a good one? What makes it worth the time and effort invested to run one of these for every single rep on your team? And how do you make sure that you're spending time on the stuff that is actually going to help the reps and help the organization and not just put this formal readout of numbers that everyone already knows onto the calendar? Today, we're going to answer all of those questions with our guest, Rosalind Santa Elena, who is the head of revenue operations at Clary. If you're not familiar, Clary is a revenue operations platform that provides visibility and insights into your pipeline and your forecasting. They've raised $121 million, they've been recognized as a sales analytics market leader by G2, and for bonus points, they run all of their QBRs out of their own product. So who better to talk to about QBRs than Rosalind herself? In our conversation, we're going to outline how you can run QBRs at your organization, the role of operations in those QBRs, and we're going to get some insight into how Clary forecasts their business. But first, at a company that is itself a revenue operations platform, I wanted to know where Rosalind's revenue operations team sits within Clary. So I am actually the head of revenue operations at Clary. So what that means is, I guess in a nutshell, is I'm responsible for really the operating cadence across our revenue process. So if you think about from from top of funnel through renewals, through upsells, expansions, and renewals. That's sort of the area of responsibility that I have. In terms of sort of Clary as a revenue operations platform, we think of revenue operations. We talk a lot about revenue operations not being so much of an organizational structure or even an outcome because people talk about revenue being an outcome. But I think more and more companies are realizing that revenue is really a process right? It's really an end-to-end process across all of your revenue teams, right? Everybody who's customer facing is really involved. And that's your marketing, your sales, your account management, your renewals teams, your customer success teams, your SEs, really everybody in the company has a role in driving revenue. So if you think about where Clary sort of sits in that and kind of where my role sits in that is really running the operating cadence and sort of the processes, the structure, and the rhythm, if you will, of that process. One of the operating cadences that I wanted to talk to you about, because Clary kind of leads the way here, I feel like, is around QBRs or or quarterly business reviews. And so I'm curious, as someone who is come into Clary relatively recently, what was that like coming in for you? Was was the QBR already a routine or operating cadence that existed? Was that something that you brought in? Like, can you tell me a little bit about how those worked 
at Clary historically? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm relatively new to Clary. I've been on board a little over three months, but I'm not new to the product. Coming into Clary as a two-time customer myself, I understood the value of the product and how the product fits into our ops world. However, having said that, coming in at the quarter end of our Q1 and then joining our first QBRs, I was super impressed. I think I shared this with you before. I was super impressed. I was kind of blown away just by the fact that my prior experience in Clary, I always tell people, this is my Clary never look like Clary's Clary, (laughs) right? It's just amazing the number of things that you can actually do in the tool that I never even thought of. So one of those things is the QBR. So when I came on board, we were getting our QBRs prepped, right? Getting ready for QBR. And typically in my past life, that was a lot of creation of reports, a lot of cutting and pasting into slide decks and doing a lot of manual work on the ops team, as well as on the sales sales team's part. So when we ran our QBR at Clary, it was very, very different. We ran everything literally out of the tool and out of the platform. It was quite different. I think I shared with you that we looked, there was very little sort of looking back. You know, a lot of times in your QBR, you spend a significant portion of the time looking at results, right? How did you do in the quarter? Where are we against quota? But instead, we spent some time obviously looking back at kind of where we're at, but a lot of the time spent on really looking forward. So I guess for people who either run these every quarter or maybe are new to the concept and trying to introduce QBRs, I think that that split that you're talking about is really interesting. So I guess before we get too much deeper into that, like, whether you have Clary or not, what for you are kind of the main components of the QBR and what, what should people be looking to make sure that they get out of them? Yep, absolutely. That's a great question. So I do think it's important for you to look at how well you performed in the quarter. But I also think that you need to look at, more importantly than looking at the numbers for the quarter, is looking at what did you learn, right? Like what went really well and what didn't go so well? And what are you going to do with those learnings and apply them to the future quarter? And what are you going to do differently, right, in the next quarter? So I do think it's important that you always look at kind of where you're at, how did you perform, where are you sort of year to date, and then you start looking forward, right? As I mentioned, kind of sort of what are the things that you're going to do differently in the new quarter, and then start looking forward in terms of what do you have in your pipeline, right? What, what do you have open? What do the next rolling couple of quarters look like, as well as where do you need help? I like to structure QBRs around a lot of the strategy on how you're going to close what you have open (laughs) in pipeline and where you need help and how you're going to sort of tackle that open pipeline versus doing too much of the look back. Whether you've been doing QBRs every quarter or you're about to roll them out for the first time, there are some important takeaways in Rosalind's structure here. For her and the team at Clary, QBRs should focus on what you learned where you need help, and the strategy to close some of the deals you have upcoming. And she emphasized multiple times her belief that you really shouldn't spend all that much time looking back at the numbers from the previous quarter, which, if you think about it, makes sense. Especially if you have a sales organization that is tuned into these numbers all the time, right? By the time a QBR rolls around, if the numbers you're looking at as a rep or as a manager, if those numbers are surprising to you, chances are you didn't do a good job of tracking them throughout the entire quarter itself. 
Okay, so that's the structure and some of the content of these QBRs. I also wanted to ask Rosalind's advice on how long these QBRs should be and who should attend them. We've tried a few different iterations of this at Drift. Sometimes we got a group of reps together to facilitate group learning. Other times we just had an individual rep presenting to a handful of leaders. So I was curious if Rosalind had found a model that had worked best for her at Clary or any of her previous companies. I think coming from sort of working in big companies, kind of large public companies, as well as small companies, I think the answer is probably different. And also depending on the type of business and sort of your sales motion and who you sell to. I think when you tend to be in some of the larger companies, they tend to be smaller, more individualized sales reps presenting to a larger executive team and a lot more of the cross-functional leaders versus in a small company when you have, obviously, the quantity is smaller, the number of people is smaller, the number of deals that you're probably looking to close in the quarter is probably a smaller number as well. So I think the format is going to be a little bit unique in terms of your business. At a smaller company, like the the last few startups that I've been at, we've tend to have more people in the room. So have the entire team, but broken out by team, right? Not where you have your entire sales organization sitting in the QBR, but perhaps if you have enterprise and commercial team, or maybe you have geographical teams in different territories, then it would be, you would have an individualized QBR for say your enterprise West team, for example, or your commercial East team. And maybe if you have multiple teams, depending on how many participants are in that team, I would say a good amount, at least from what I've seen is about five to 10, I think sales reps in a QBR, because I think if you have any more than that, then it probably makes sense to (laughs) separate them into multiple sessions. The other thing I would say is I do agree that the learnings for your peers is huge, right? Because nobody has the answers to everything. As the team talks through what they've done in deals to close and how they're going to tackle open deals, it's a great learning experience for everyone, for other reps to share ideas, as well as for managers and some of the cross-functional teams to share ideas as well. I've found too that it's also a really nice way to distinguish between like noise and signal, right? What you hear from multiple reps inside of those QBRs, right? So we have a section of our QBRs at Drift where we say, okay, what are your asks of the organization, right? What are the things in the upcoming quarter that would make you more successful? And what's helpful for me, whether it's one person in the room or 10, is taking notes and understanding, okay, this is now the fourth person today who's asked for a better ROI calculator deck, right? Or as an example. And so you can start to see those patterns from across the team that aren't necessarily deal specific, but they're clearly things that would level up the entire organization. And so that for me is one of the things I look to take away from those conversations. Absolutely. And sort of as part of my role, kind of as RevOps, that is actually, that's a great reminder that that is one of the things that I am actually responsible for, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Is taking away take away the actions and go work with the various teams because it could be product enhancements that we need. It could be more enablement for our team to, they need more training in A, B, and C, or maybe we need more customer references, or there's a number of different things that to your point would be required from some of the other teams in the company and being able to really help accelerate some of the deals. You know, where are they getting stuck and where do they need help? 
This is critical to remember when you, the operator, are thinking about both the process and the outcomes of your QBRs. At face value, QBRs are about the reps, but in reality, they are an opportunity for the entire organization to improve. And our job as operations folks is to seek out those specific opportunities. When I talked about signal versus noise in my conversation with Rosalind, noise is anything that might come in the form of a rep's personal feelings or their personal preferences about a tool or a view or, or whatever. But signal, signal is when multiple reps tell you that that tool simply doesn't meet the functional needs of the group for these specific reasons. Or when you identify a pattern in why a large number of our deals got stuck in the last quarter. And then the hard part comes. You have to do something about all those inefficiencies that you found. Rosalind told me that she's literally sitting there taking notes and building project plans on the fly all while sitting inside these QBRs. And specifically, when she came into Clary, she sat in on every single QBR and used it as an opportunity to get to know her business very, very quickly. As you know, small company, when you are lean and you are yep. limited on resources, we, we wear many hats and we do many yep. things that people wouldn't imagine that we do. But I actually do consolidate all of the actions, at least I did in my first quarter here, and did sit through every QBR, which was great for me also as a relatively new employee, kind of new to the team, right? Because it's a great way for me from an operational perspective to hear and learn as well, because a lot of the actions are also for ops, right? A lot of follow-up actions in terms of we need better process for this, or we need our systems to be able to do that. And then even the asks for other teams, a lot of times operations, you're going to be the one to help drive that project or sort of put together the framework for something new, right? An example is, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, needing to have great customer references. I mean, we have a great customer base, but being able to access which is the right customer for that particular industry and that size of company or to resolve a specific use case that a prospect may be facing, making that process easier for a sales rep to identify the right customer and find the champion who's willing to do a customer reference. Those type of things would be something from that I would be kind of from an operational perspective responsible for going and working with our customer marketing team and building out that framework and then implementing it, right? And implementing a process, whether that's in Salesforce or in some other tool to be able to automate and kind of make that process more efficient. And I also think that you and I, or folks like us, or folks in roles like ours, we're more likely to catch different things, right? I think that this is like a great argument for having different types of roles sitting in on these QBRs and not necessarily just that person's direct manager or their manager's manager, right? The things that they're going to take away as lessons probably have a lot more to do with sales strategy and deal coaching and deal reviews. Whereas when I walk away, I'm thinking about, okay, we clearly don't have a clear definition here on when this opportunity needs to get created, or we clearly are missing a resource here in Salesforce or, or whatever it may be. And so I think that there's a value there in having a bunch of different roles in the room to be able to capture and look at the performance of the team through different lenses. Yep, that's absolutely correct. And I think sometimes it's difficult for some of the cross-functional teams to sit in on the QBRs because as you know, they're, they're often all day and all week. Yeah, a lot of time. A lot <laughs> so of 
So it's a lot of time spent, but definitely having some of those cross-functional teams sit in on specific sales teams if they support them. I think some of the larger teams, like there's obviously asks for finance, there's always going to be asks for product and those type of things. I think from an operational lens, you know, you're right. We kind of sit through and we look at it and we start to think about what would that look like? (laughs) And we can start to build that versus maybe from a sales rep's perspective, it's something as simple as, you know, I need system integration for X system. And then we go and kind of figure how that would work. If you and your operations team are not actively sitting in on your sales team's QBRs, I can't recommend strongly enough that you change that. Listening to recordings of them is a decent first step, but even that isn't going to be as valuable to you because you aren't going to be able to be there to ask follow-up questions or clarify what people are saying or what they're asking for. I promise it's worth the time investment and don't take my word for it, take Rosalind's. Okay, so let's move on to what is usually a pretty key component of any QBR, forecasting the upcoming quarter's performance. Forecasting is about as standard as a sales activity can get, but when you look at the market, forecasting has morphed into this mythological creature that everyone thinks about differently, they've got different definitions for, and like a lot of things, I feel like we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. So, of course, in my conversation with Rosalind, I wanted to know how she and her team handle this. Luckily, Clary is the best at exactly this, at forecasting. And since Rosalind is the one behind the curtain forecasting revenue at a company that specializes in forecasting, I wanted to get her take. Yeah. So when we're looking at kind of future quarter and next quarter, we're really looking at what do you have open in your pipe? We're looking at qualified pipe. We're looking at not just current quarter, but we do look out at out quarters as well, which I think is something that a lot of sales teams that I've worked with have a more difficult time looking at, right? We look a lot at current quarter and what's happening. And obviously it requires laser focus, but we need to, especially in this industry and kind of in the environment that we're in, really look at out quarter as well, because out quarter obviously gives you some opportunity in terms of accelerating deals or pulling things forward. So for next quarter, we like to look obviously at the net new ARR. So we're looking at qualified pipeline, we're looking at upside, and then we're really drilling down into deal prioritization, what we call deal prioritization, which is really digging into the deals and understanding the engagement to be able to do a very comprehensive deal inspection during our QBRs. Some of the other things that we're looking at, obviously, are renewals, but we also look at, we look at different attributes of an account in the QBRs and ask the team to look at the accounts that are having, there's an industry impact to them based on sort of the existing economic environment, right? We look a lot at slip deals as well and deals that have moved out of quarter. So the ask sort of from the rep's perspective is for them to come to the session with a good handle on their next quarter pipe, a good handle on sort of what is happening within each of those deals what's happening next quarter, as well as the asks for the other teams, you know, as we kind of talked alluded to. How long does each rep have for their QBR? It depends on, in the commercial segment, it tends to be, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think in both segments, we ha- we're broken out by commercial and enterprise today. Each rep usually has about 30 to 45 minutes. Got it. When you talk about deal prioritization, like, I guess, how do you find the right balance of 
this being a value add exercise for them when they're talking about these deals as opposed to, oh no, like we just spent 25 out of the 30 minutes on this one deal and now we're out of time, right? Like I feel like there's a balance there and I'm curious how you go about striking that with your team. Yeah, so... So the way that we look at the deals is obviously looking, you know, in terms of prioritization is obviously looking at size, right? We look at ACV or ARR size, as well as where they're at in the cycle and how long the deal's been open and what we need to close, right? And what we need to do in terms of trying to close the deal. So we prioritize, we ask the reps to come to the table, obviously with their asks, but also with a story right? A story around what is happening with the deal. What do they need to push it across the finish line? And so the conversations are a lot, at least from what I've seen and in my past life, more around what are the steps that need to be taken to close the deal this quarter? And so coming from that lens is really looking at actionable steps to help and kind of get things unstuck if they are stuck. And then understand sort of what we call sequence of events. What are the steps that are going to happen on these dates to be able to close on the date that you've committed. When it comes to forecasting, like there are two truths in my mind, right? One, everybody has to do it. And two, everybody does it differently, right? And so people come in with these different assumptions about what it means to provide that forecast. And so if I'm a new rep at Clary and I'm about to, to go into my first QBR, how do I take all those building blocks that you just talked about in terms of deal prioritization, your slip deals, pipeline you're walking in with, where I'm at, my sequence of events. How do I take all of that and then emerge with a number that I'm going to tell my bosses and put my performance on the line against that number? So fortunately for our reps, all of the those data points that you and I just chatted about are all in Clary. And so at any point in time, QBR or not, that information is available in the dashboard. And so as a rep, I can easily go to that deal and have all of the data in front of me and be able to talk to it. In my past life, that's been a summary of a lot of cutting and pasting and pulling from different reports. And then oftentimes you spend time in your QBR looking for data to kind of drill down into the details. But it is still the same set of data points that a rep needs to be prepared to talk to at the QBR. The difference is just the amount of prep time and then the efficiency of the QBR, right? And how effective it is. Because when you do have 30 minutes, or even if you have an hour for each rep, if you have that amount of time, it goes by very quickly if you're spending 20 minutes looking for a piece of data. Yeah. I mean, certainly having that data readily available to you, having it at your fingertips and having some of the magic that Clary is able to do in terms of spitting out a forecast number I think makes this so much simpler from a rep's perspective. From an input perspective for that rep, though, I feel like the building blocks, regardless of whether you have Clary or not, are still pretty important, right? So whether it's the stages that you use, the forecast categories that you use, I feel like even if you have software to help you as a rep, you still need to have a certain level of handle on your deals to produce a number. Is that fair? Yep, that's absolutely true. And I think Every company I've joined, it's funny because (laughs) I think people say, oh, we have sales stages and we have forecast categories. But like you said, every company does it a little bit differently, right? And and I've seen within a company, reps doing it a little bit differently, right? And managers doing it a little bit differently. So that's one of the things I think is really critical and sort of an ops and sales leadership 
responsibility is to make sure we have really clear definitions, right, around when a deal is in a certain stage. Well, even before that, when do you open opportunity? When is the right time to say this is qualified? When do we even create an opportunity? And then how does it progress through the deal cycle? Just having very clear sales stages where everybody is on board. Everybody knows that if it's in, you know, the second stage, it means that A, B, and C have been done. X, Y, and Z need to get done. And I think just making those very, very simple and very well-defined and making sure that everybody sticks to them and drives adopt, then you drive adoption. That obviously helps a lot in the forecast. And same thing around forecast categories, right? We talk a lot about, oh, what's in commit or upside or best case, you know, everybody has their different terminology. And so you have your own at Drift as well. But whatever that terminology is, everybody needs to be aligned to the definition, right? That something cannot be moved into commit unless it meets this criteria. And the criteria for folks to follow it, it can't be a dozen things. It's got to be really straightforward. Yes, no questions. And that's kind of what we've built is that I like to build is just kind of the yes, no. You know, do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have your budget defined? Is your economic buyer on board? Very, just very straightforward. Yes, no. And then it helps you determine whether or not it really belongs in a certain stage or a certain forecast category. I feel like this is such a common problem and discussion within all the sales teams that I talk to. It sounds so simple, but having clear, consistent, and understood definitions for your stages and your forecast categories is clearly something that plagues a lot of organizations. It's usually among the first things that a new sales leader will come in and assess and change when they get to an organization. So why are we so bad at this? Rosalind points out that keeping your approach as simple as possible is one thing that we can all take away. She explains that having a series of clear yes-no questions is not only enough to get you by, but it's preferable. It's one of those things that it's easy to just define, but it's another to get alignment and adoption around those definitions. You can't just write a wiki post, ship it, and expect things to change. (laughs) Believe me, I've tried this way and failed miserably. So, How does Rosalind get alignment around a common language at Clary? So definitely defining, communicating, having the definitions and the questions sort of for that exit criteria in Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using or whatever tool you're using, but also during your forecast calls, during your deal reviews, right? During those one-on-one coaching sessions between a, a manager and a rep, those questions should constantly be being asked, right? If you're in this stage, oh, so you've got your ROI done. Oh, you've got paper in hand or whatever the stage is and start really talking that language in your regular operating cadence, right? So when you're looking at deals and you're saying, oh, this is in a stage two, okay, that means you've done A, B, and C. Do you really have those done, right? Making sure those check boxes are checked and then it just gets ingrained, right? And as you said, kind of making it really simple too. So anybody off the top of their head can say, oh yeah, this is stage two because I'm ready to move it to stage three because I finished this versus having to go search in your Google Drive or in your in your laptop to look for a 10-page document around stages. Right, right. Yeah, I think if you're making it a normal part of every single day. Yep, and make it really simple, right? I mean, at the very highest level, you're trying to qualify, you're trying to understand the business reasoning, right? You're just trying to understand, hey, does the prospect have a reason to buy? Basically, like, why buy Clary, right? Or whatever the tool is. And really why buy now, 
right? If you think about it, it's really pretty straightforward. If you build your stages around that is why buy anything? Why buy from us? And why buy now? What's interesting about bringing that into the normal day to day is kind of what you're saying about one-on-ones and weekly forecasts and whatever routines you're talking about, right? This idea of calling your shot and actually having a forecast does not begin and end with a QBR, right? Like this, this, this thing is happening all the time. And so I'm curious, like, what do those, you said right off the top of our conversation, this idea of operating cadences, what does the operating cadence of forecasting look like at Clary? Because, I mean, if there's anybody to look to beg, borrow, and steal an operating cadence from on something, it's Clary and forecasting. Yeah, absolutely. So I think around, we do a pretty standard operating cadence is probably very similar to kind of what I've done in the past and probably what you're used to as well. And you have your weekly one-on-ones between your rep and the manager, right? And these if you do this right, these are coaching sessions, right? Strategy discussions, reviewing the account engagement versus looking at data and looking at numbers per se. And then we have weekly meetings around with the managers and the VPs. And then we have a roll up where our VPs, each of our VPs sits with our CRO. And then we also do a kind of a separate forecasting around renewals and upsells. Our forecast process includes kind of the gamut, right, around net new business as well as upsells and expansions and then renewals. And we also look at churn, right? It's a part of the conversation around renewals, but we do spend a lot of time looking at potential churn risk as well. And do you have the same type of like, is there a renewal forecast meeting, just like there's a bookings forecast meeting or in a churn for like, how do those actually translate in within the business? Yep. So same thing. We have a renewals weekly. Well, it's usually twice a week. We have a sort of a sequence of a cadence as we move through the quarter where Mm -hmm. the frequency of the meetings and reviews increases as we get into month three and then increases as we move through the month as well. And we start with sort of regular forecasting calls, like I think most companies do, kind of the weekly forecast where you're just kind of doing the roll up, right? From rep to manager, manager to VP, and then VP to CRO. But then we also have a forecast call around renewals with our account management team and our CS team, you know, is involved in deal reviews as well, because they obviously bring a perspective around adoption and account health and how well the customers are doing. And then we, as we move through the quarter, as we get into month three, we start to shift less to just talking about forecast and really talking about the steps that are required to close a deal. Got it. And the thing that I think is interesting about the fact that your cadence changes throughout the quarter is what you said earlier about, look, we're not just focused on this quarter. We're also focused on out quarters. And so I would imagine at Clary, I think Drift has gone through a similar thing where we've moved further up market, sales cycles lengthen, deal sizes go up, right? But it also becomes a new muscle for people to have to forecast further and further out. So I'm curious how you and the team have helped bring that muscle to bear when it comes to forecasting further out, because it's not something that everyone has had to do before. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the ability to forecast out quarters relies on, like everything else, good data, right? Having good data. And if there's no focus in terms of 
accurately reflecting deals that are outside of the quarter, then you're not obviously not going to have a good forecast or visibility into what's happening out quarter. So that kind of goes back to your rigor and your operating cadence or your operational kind of structure and processes around making sure that we are focused on out quarters and we are looking at those. And it's almost a, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you, if you look at the out quarters that and people know that you're looking at it, the reps will pay more attention to <laughs> entering the data. And then it's, you know, and it builds off of that. But I think especially with the way this year has been going with the pandemic and just everything happening in the economy, the more and more we're focused on out quarter business because not only are deals slipping more often and getting pushed out quarter, but also you're looking for opportunities to bring things in, right? Are there renewals that we should be able to close early so we can kind of get those off the table, right? Or are there things that we should be accelerating that deals maybe there's a chance to pull in to this quarter to sort of offset potential slip deals or any other risk? Yeah, I mean, it's the exact same lesson from what you were saying about stages and forecast categories, right? If it's what you're paying attention to, if it's what you're having conversations about on a daily basis, then the behavior changes. And that's when the, the needle is going to move, right? Our CRO says all the time, inspect what you expect. That's It's just so true in every single component of whether it's a QBR or forecast or whatever. And around, you know, it's muscle memory also, right? You talked about sort of when you move up market and you start selling into larger accounts and larger deals, the deal cycle often you know, gets longer and it's more complex, right? There's more players that need to be involved, more approvals that you need to go through, more stakeholders that you need to get buy-in from. It's all about exercising that muscle and coming from an ops perspective is making sure that the team has, that we have processes and systems to support what they're doing and the data, right? And the analysis, but also driving the adoption and the rigor, right? Making sure that people are following the process and then continuing to enhance the process because oftentimes business changes, your processes need to iterate as well. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Radical Candor. It was actually oh, recommended by my... Right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, it was actually recommended by my manager and, and actually a lot of our leadership team recommended it. And we're actually going to be doing, I think, a leadership session on it. But up to this point, I mean, I've managed teams for so long, but I have never read that book. And I've been hearing more and more about it. And somebody you know recommended it here at Clary to me. And so, yeah, top of mind for me. <laughs> I love it. Favorite part about working in ops? I love the fact that you are involved in both strategic and tactical. I love being part of go-to-market, kind of the strategy pieces and coming up with interesting ways to do things. But then I also love being able to kind of break those things into small pieces and go do them, right? I love the feeling, just get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. Bias for action. Least favorite part about working in ops? <laughs> maybe the same, maybe the same <laughs> answer. <laughs> Some days it's like, we just want to, you know, we Too get much. so stuck in the tactical, right? It's such a small company when there's not that many resources. You're doing things that you've never done. You know, you haven't done for many years because you had a team if you worked in a bigger company. I don't know that I have a least favorite, but I do think that we, all kidding aside, I do think that we need to ensure that as ops folks, that we continue to be more strategic. Don't forget to pop your head up 
and look around. Don't always be just reactive, right? We do need to be proactive and help guide the business and help really lead the team. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today. Yeah. So I was, because I was a two-time customer, my sales rep and my SE were actually the ones who talked to me about this opportunity. Oh, <laughs> That's how wow. great our, our customer relationships are. Like, wow. yeah, they actually talked to me and said, Hey, we're looking for some ops help. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is like a fantastic company. I know the product and I already you know understood the culture, just having worked with work with the team from a customer perspective. That's amazing. They're going to have to have come up with some sort of new attribution model internally. <laughs> You're going to have to come up with it to, to now incorporate that into the sales process. All right. Last one for you. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Yeah, I definitely think educating yourself. Well, I guess I should say network and learn from others, right? The things that like you're doing here, Sean, with the podcast it's amazing because I think there's just not a lot of good resources for operational people, for people who want to start in operations or want to elevate their career. There's not a ton of books to read or a ton of blogs to follow, right? There's great resources like what you're doing here and there's like some other ones, but I think making sure like that you learn from others, like any other role, I guess it's not, this doesn't just apply to operations, but learn from others who have done it right? Because people are more willing than you think to share their experiences and their learnings. And don't try to recreate the wheel every time because we've all, everybody has done it some way in some shape, form or another at some point. So learn from others, lean on your peers and definitely share best practices with others as well. Well, one, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and two, I couldn't agree more. I think the posts that you have put out there on LinkedIn in particular about the 10 pillars of sales ops, just, just that alone for someone who's trying to figure out what this job means and ways to contribute to it or a, some, pick a lane and try to specialize in one, two, three, four, five, however many pillars you want to focus on, right? Like it just lays the foundation for you of like, what is possible and what is out there in terms of work you can do. Yep, absolutely. And and I think there's just a lot of education also that happens around people. There's a lot of questions around, you know, what does operations really do? What is sales ops? What is rev ops? You know, and so, yeah, I've been trying similar to you is just trying to share some of my experiences in the hope that it will help others. Thanks so much to Rosalind for being our guest on this week's episode of Operations. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you are subscribed so you can get the new episode into your feed every other Friday. Also, if you are really enjoying the show and feeling generous today, leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. They really help other people to find the show. All right, that's gonna do it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 